All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in the book of Exodus. We are in the book of Exodus, and we are picking up in chapter 14. Let's start with a word of prayer. We look up at the stars. Lord, everything is different. Everything changes as we can see that it's your handiwork, Lord. And we can see your glory, Lord, that you've written there. And we can see the vastness of it all, Lord. And the more we know about it, the more we understand how small we are in this universe. Um, and the more we see, Lord, the amazing, incredible, fantastic, impossible design behind it all, Lord. And those of us who have eyes to see uh, and who have faith, Lord, we can clearly see, Lord, that this is your handiwork. This is what you have done. This is what you've made. This is what you've accomplished, Lord, so that we might see it, we might look to it, and we might say, there is a God. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be made holy in your sight, Lord God, so that we might be made worthy by the blood of the Lamb to receive the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, so that we could rightly divide the word of truth, so we could know your heart, Lord, as you intercede for us and as you speak through our hearts and our conscience, Lord, and through our knowledge of you. Lord, so that we could have a hope that is built up in us, Father, to know who we are and whom we belong to, Lord, and to also know where we're going. Lord, we're grateful for that, Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, whose faith may be weak, uh, Lord, who, who in these perilous times that we live in, Lord, may have been deceived by the world, uh, Lord, into um, not understanding or not believing in the scope of and the breadth of, Lord, of your power and your presence in this world and in this universe. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask, Lord God, that you would in these last days begin to remove blinders, uh, that you would be removing scales, Lord, from people's eyes, those spiritual scales that can so easily keep us from seeing, Lord, so often created by our own flesh. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be uh, children of the cross, Lord, that every single day <clears throat> our prayer would be, Lord, help me today to take up my cross and follow after you, to deny myself, to say no to myself, to allow my own flesh to be put to death, Lord, as I follow you in spirit, Lord. And we pray that you would reveal your heart and your light to us and your life, that your love and your truth would flow through us, Lord. We pray that you would make us radiant in these last and dark days. We pray, Father, that you would put us up on a rock, Lord, that rises above the politics and the, and the social uh, norms and social expectations of this, of this age, Lord, that we would rise above all that, Lord, be above all of it, Lord on the rock of the truth of Jesus Christ and his word. And would from there, Lord, we'd be able to shine that light, Lord, like a city on a hill. Lord, and that no one would ever be able to extinguish it as your word is promised. And, and from our mouths would flow, Lord, love and grace and mercy. Lord, and always, always, always the truth. Lord, help us to never compromise uh, the truth of your word, but and never also, Lord, to allow compromise in our hearts, Lord, and our love for the people you've called us to speak to. So equip us today, Lord. Have your way among us. Revive us, Lord. Uh, Lord, and use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. That's what it's all about. Right? It's all about uh, being used by God, being available to him, to be used by him. We are his servants. The Bible makes it very clear that we were purchased, right? We were purchased with a, with a price. And a price so high, so costly... Uh, we can't even begin to fathom it. I think in the ages and the eternity to come, when we're glorified and, and, and when we see him, we'll be like him. And when we're glorified and we're, we're in his presence, I, I think that still 
I think still we'll look at the lamb and we'll wonder and awe at the cost that he so freely paid for you and I. Uh, that we would be sanctified, that we would be glorified. I mean, everything that belongs, everything that pertains to the kingdom of God is yours. And like that song that we were singing, I'm a child of God, yes I am. In my father's house there's a place for me. I'm a child of God, yes I am. You know that today? That you are a child of God? You ought to know. That's what the word says. That's what, that's what we're taught from the epistles. That you may know. It's not just an intuitive knowledge, although that's a part of it, but it's an experiential knowledge. Because of the time that I've spent, the years that I've spent walking with the Lord, stumbling, tripping, falling, smashing my teeth on the rocks, falling off the path altogether, climbing and clawing my way back up, all of that time and all of that experience, he's revealed his heart to me. And I have no doubts. I have no doubts. I don't have the slightest doubt of who he is and that all of his promises are yes and amen. Every single one of them. And that's what he's called us to. He's called us out of the darkness into his glorious light. He's made us children of the light children of the daytime spiritually. He's made us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And not only that, the Bible says, but joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're going to reign with him someday. The day is going to come, we're taught in Thessalonians and other places, that Jesus Christ, there's going to be a trumpet of God, and Jesus Christ is going to appear, and he's going to take his church out of this world to be with him, and during the next seven years, we're going to have everything that Revelation talks to us about, what's called the seven-year tribulation, and the Antichrist, which is going to be set loose on this earth to deceive as many as who have ears but refuse to hear. You understand, right? And as many as who have eyes but refuse to see. All through the book of Revelation, God tells us that during this terrible time, that during this terrible time, these terrible seven years, God is going to be continually revealing himself to planet Earth and continually giving the gospel to the inhabitants of the people of planet Earth. And every single person is going to have a choice that they're going to be confronted with. It's so easy. And I, I actually look at this as being a hopeful thing. You know, we, we talk about the tribulation. We talk about that period of time, Jacob's trouble. And, and it's like, well, it's foreboding. And, and, and man, it's hard to even think about the terrible things that are going to happen during that time. And that's true. But along with that, God is going to be revealed to planet Earth. He's going to reveal himself to planet Earth. And he is going to clearly send the message. Every single person on planet Earth is going to be confronted with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And will have to make a choice. It's so easy to just not make a choice. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, Dad was doing a little Bible study. The men's and women's breakfast, Dad gave us a little Bible study. And, um, and it was during the time of Elisha when uh, the prophets of Baal, he had this big confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Uh, and the children of Israel were there, and this whole contest takes place, where Elijah, standing there by himself, he gives the instructions to make this altar, and to bring a sacrifice on it, and to dig a big giant trench around it, and then to cover the offering and the sacrifice and the altar in water, bring more water, bring more water, until water ran off the sacrifice and fills up the pits. And he says to the prophets of Baal, now go ahead and call out to your God, that he would send fire down on the sacrifice to consume it. 
in the sight of the people that they might know that he's God if he's God. And the prophets of Baal begin to pray and they begin to, to jump around and dance around and they begin to cut themselves and all of the things that went along with their form of worship. And, and Elisha even begins to kind of tease them a little bit. Maybe he's, on, maybe he's using the bathroom, you know. Maybe he can't hear you right now. And then finally he prays. He says, Lord, that these people might know that you are the one true God in Israel consume the sacrifice. And of course we know the account, the fire of God falls from heaven, consumes the fire, licks up the water, and just leaves no doubt. But there's a portion in there when Elisha asks the people, who will you serve? And they don't answer him. They don't answer him. It's almost like they're in this spiritual state of limbo. They don't know which way to go. And man, when he was talking about that, it reminded me of the day and age that we live in today. There's so much to distract us. There's so much to distract us. You know, we have lost so much, uh, you know, politicians call it maybe, or, you know, different people call it a moral compass or, or this or that, but we've lost so much of what we once had, where people didn't count their lives as being worth so much that they weren't willing to lay it down. You understand? You know, we know about this. We, we, we have this understanding when we get to, uh, you know, we have Veterans Day coming up and, and, and when we have Memorial Day and we think about all of the wars that have been fought. And, and, and in particular, what, the one that sticks up for me and I think so many others is that World War II generation. That World War II generation of people who just, there wasn't even a thought process. There wasn't a hesitation. They didn't even think about it. It was automatic. They went down to enlist to go fight in the Great War. Because it's what needed to be done. Well, don't you know? Don't you know you're going to die? Don't you realize the odds of you dying are so great? That's inconsequential. Doing the right thing is what matters. You know, there was, there was, there was not so lofty a price put on their own lives even that they weren't willing to lay them down freely for the freedom of their neighbor. And even for the freedom of their neighbor across the ocean. Because it was the right thing to do. It wasn't just fighting over, you know, squabbling over oil or some silly thing. There was a lot at stake, wasn't there? There was so much at stake. And they were just willing to lay it down. We've lost so much of that. Our lives are so valuable to us. So valuable to us. That we've become a nation of spoiled, rotten brats. And how do I know that I'm a spoiled, rotten, <laughs> crybaby, kicking his pant, kicking his feet and stamping his feet, baby? How do I know that? Because just let something go wrong. And not even a major thing. It's not like I showed up, oh, look, my house burnt down again. This is nonsense, you know. Oh, enough is enough, Lord. You know, it's not, yeah, the cable goes out, right? The cable goes out. My, my, my Home Depot card was declined, you know what I mean? There's too many, too many tools on there, you know, or whatever. And, oh, you know, and, and gosh, I mean, like, like, and Christians, and maybe you don't interact with a whole bunch of Christians, but I mean, this really throws people completely off course where they, I just don't, I just, how can God be good? And you know, what, what, right? I, you know, I, I, and I, not to, not to, I, I don't like to, to go after ministries or churches or, or preachers or like, I don't do that, I'll never do that. But the, here is my issue with the whole prosperity doctrine, okay? You can't preach it in China. You can't preach it in the Sudan. You can't preach it in Iran. 
I can't go to the Christians in Iran and tell them, if you have faith like a mustard seed, brother, God's going to give you three cars. God's going to increase your bounty, brother. I can't tell them that because it's a lie. If you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you're probably going to be beheaded and burned. Or you're going to have to worship in hiding. I can't preach the prosperity gospel in all the other parts of the earth where God's spirit is moving in such a mighty way. How come we don't see any miracles today? Well, we know that Jesus, when he went to his hometown, Jesus was limited because of their lack of faith. We know this guy. He's the son of Mary. We watched him. He's the carpenter guy. Remember, he's the carpenter. He's the carpenter's kid. Remember? We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. The family, they all live here. How can he be a prophet? And it says because their faith was so small, was so little, Jesus was unable to do, do any miracles there. Well, I think in America, because we have so much, because we have so much, because we're so distracted, there's something about trials, there's something about tribulations, there's something about suffering that produces the power of God. And we see that all through the scriptures, and we see that in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Please don't misunderstand me, because there's never a day that I wake up that I don't thank God for my beautiful house, right, and my hot cup of coffee, right? I can sit in, in freedom and peace on my little back patio and watch the sun come up with my hot cup of coffee, and then go in and watch my little sleepyhead kids stumble out of their rooms and, and put on the cartoons and, you know, I mean, like the, 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 the luxuries that I have. And the, there's never a day that goes by that I don't thank God for it because he put me here. You, I believe that. I believe that God appointed each one of us to be exactly where we're at. If you're a successful person and God has blessed you, don't you ever feel bad for that. Don't you ever apologize for that. Say, oh, you know, well, no, 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 no. No, God has given you and blessed you with an ability to be successful. Praise God. That's an awesome thing. But it's like we always pray during offering. I need to know and understand that all the things that God has blessed me with are to be used for his glory and for his purposes. You know, joke around, just a little, just, just a silly thing, like the whole dirt bike ministry that God has been using so amazingly to bring people into the kingdom and to reach out to all these different kids. But in my life, God has made sure along the way to make me understand that it ain't about the dirt bikes. And he will, at key opportune moments, <laughs> you know what I mean, remove me from my glorious dirt bike. Whether it's an injury or whether the stupid thing won't start or something like that. To remind me, remember why you're here, Chubbs, and it ain't to ride your bike, right? It's to minister to these people, it's to love these people. Oh, that's right, I got it, guys, because I need to be reminded, right? I'm that kid, right? I'm the remedial course guy. That's me. Frank, make sure you, you, you do your homework. Remember this, Mom? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, because I, I remember because I was there, and also because I've duplicated myself, if you've ever met Lukey. He is the absolute, it's like I was cloned genetically in a lab, right? I just look and I'll be like, I, oh, you know, because it's me. What am I going to do? I made him, right? It's my fault. Frank, make sure you get shown. Oh, I'm all over it, Ma. Don't you worry. Straight A's from here on out. Mm, I got you. You know, 10 minutes later, do your homework. Oh, what? What? Where? What? I don't remember. What are you talking about? It's the same thing. And God has to continually be waking me back. Frank, what? Ah, what? What? And you know how he does it sometimes? The bike won't start. I get injured. Or something bad happens at work. 
or something goes down in my life and I'm thrown off course and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and God pushes me. That's God going, hello, McFly. I got a plan for your life. I got a plan for your life. And it's not to ride dirt bikes. And it's not to do, insert your thing. My plan for your life is to use you to be a light and to be salt to the world, your world. My, my mother, who was a hippie, and then my sister was a pretend hippie. Oh, she was, oh, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm a hippie, man, I'm a hippie. Tie-dye, you know, and, and, and all the world peace shirts. But her hair was like this, boom, you know. She showered, you know what I mean? She had makeup on. I'm like, you're not a hippie. You need to stop showering, stop shaving, right? I'll get a, a tremendous kick out of it in the meantime. It'd be so much fun for me. But she had a shirt that she used to wear that said, think globally, act locally. And I always, that stuck. And I believe that that's one of those things that God made stick in my little pea brain. And I always remember that, think globally, act locally. And when I was in Guatemala, God brought that back to my heart. Frank, think globally, but act locally. It's easy for us as Christians to go on a missions trip, right, for 10 days, to go and wallow in, in, in the mire and the extreme poverty and heartache that is the world and minister to people and then come back home like, I'm a super Christian. Do you see the slides? <laughs> That's right, you know. No, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you. And I come back to my comfortable and easy life. And God says, think globally, act locally, act locally. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life. Well, I'm just waiting for God. No, 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 no. God currently has a plan for your life. He currently has a plan for your life that he would be glorified in and through you. Currently. And that was his plan for the nation of Israel from day one. And he allowed some 400 years of living, 340 years or whatever, of slavery and harsh bondage in Egypt to prove his plan. Think about that. I don't like that. I don't know about you. I'm not crazy about that plan. Here's the thing. I'm going to use you guys. You're going to be the light. There's a small entry fee. What do we have for him, Johnny? It's 340 years of harsh slavery. Wow! So that I might use you, though. That's the prize at the end. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Abraham, you're going to be, uh, I'm going to make a nation out of you. All nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. I like that. I like that. Now take your son, your only son, who you love. To a place where I will show you, and there I want you to offer him unto me a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering. So the rubber meets the road. God, use me. God, use me. What do you mean that doesn't work? You know what I'm saying? What do you mean I was declined? You know, or whatever. God, use me. God, use me. Look at, look at, the mission field is at work. 
The mission field is in your backyard. The mission field is all the little places you go. Your little corner stores, right? Your little haunts where you get your coffee and where you say, Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bill. Hey, hey. Good day today, Joe. That's a mission field. And now I'm not saying you walk in there and go, Hey, it's going to be a little different today, boys. In the name of Jesus, bring me my coffee. As I expound to you, from the book of Numbers. <laughs> Here's how it looks. Here's how it looks. God, I pray for Joe. I pray for Bill. For the cute little old lady with the Boston accent that gives me my coffee in the morning. Lord, open a door, would you? I'm available to you, to be used by you. Open a door. Lord, I just pray that your will be done. Amen. And then go about your happy life. That's what the Christian life should look like. I'm going to be holy. I'm really going to follow the Lord this week. You know, and going to fasting for six months. You know what I mean? Your Christian life should be joy. Your Christian life should be like, you know, not all the time, not all the time. There's hard times, there's trials, there's things that come. And people ought to see that in your life too, so that they can see you be victorious in it and through it. But in a general sense, Christian, you ought to have godliness with contentment, which the Bible says is great gain. You ought to mind your own business, the scripture teaches us. Go about your business and wait on God to use you. And in the meantime, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is the day. This is all. Man, it's so great to be a Christian. My dad, hallelujah. You don't have a dad's thing. Remember that? That's how we ought to look. And that's how we ought to live our lives as we're praying, God, I'm available to you. And then if he bumps me off course, or he pushes me over a little bit, or he allows an obstacle, or he allows a dart to penetrate the shield and hit me, oh, oh man. <laughs> I'm not, whew. all right, Lord, all right, Lord, what are we doing? All right, Lord, help me to have eyes to see. Lord, show me your plan through this. What are you trying to say to me, Lord? Let me be just open to your Holy Spirit, Lord, whatever it may be. And don't you then insert a thought there. You know what I'm saying? Probably because last week I didn't, you know. With your superstitious self, right? God can't bless me now because I should... God's grace, God's mercy, God's love covers all of your sin. As soon as you get back up, you say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm, Lord, that's not who I am in you. That's not what you've called me to be. Lord, forgive me. It's gone. He keeps no record of wrong. He takes your sin as far away as the east is from the west, the Bible says, and remembers them no more. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There's just God using you. There's just God loving you. There's just God allowing certain things to take place to redirect you or stop you or move you. We just need to have the faith to believe. My life's in His hands. It's not my own. It's His deal. It's His call. You know what I'm saying? I say, you'll hear me say this all the time, you know. Yeah, well, it's all for charity, so and that's, I'm joking around. It's all God's plan. You know, it used to be for me so difficult, you know, every single Sunday, 
right? It was like a, was like a, a work of, a painful work for me. Because I want to get up here and I want to preach to you guys and I want you guys leaving this place going, man, that was the best message I ever heard. I was so blessed. I want you to leave this place blessed. And at the same time, I'm struggling with my own inability and my own shortcomings in this life because I don't deserve to be used by God. I don't deserve for his spirit to, to flow through me and speak to anybody. And then God would be faithful or God would allow me to throw a, a lemon, you know. And I finally, it took God so long to get me to the point where I know I just jo- I jokingly say, oh, it's all for charity, so you know what I mean? I get up here and I preach because that's what God said to do. Remember, you've heard it say, God says, fatty preach, fatty going to preach, right? That's it. There's just nothing special. There's no nothing. It's just God said, do it. So I do it. And I try to be obedient in that. And I fail and I fall and I screw up and God remains the same. And he covers me with his grace and mercy. And it doesn't matter what God's called you to do or where God's called you to be. It's the same story. And it's the same story with the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 14 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. So now that I've read that, you guys understand where they are, right? I mean, that made perfect sense to you, right? Biblical scholars, archaeologists still to this day argue over the route of the children of Israel. Uh, this is the one that biblically makes the most sense when you, when you do the cross-referencing, okay? So I, I'll try to make it as, well, I can only make it simple because only, I only understand it very simply, um, <clears throat> is that there's two ways of looking at the archaeology of the Bible, Okay, here's what the Bible says. Now, we need to prove it out archaeologically. You understand? Here's what the Bible says. Now, we need to prove it out archaeologically. And here's what the Bible says. Let's look at the archaeology and see other places where the Bible may say something else that might confirm this so that we might say, okay, here's what it probably looked like, regardless of what archaeology proves out. You understand? Right, so that you can look at it through the eyes of faith or you can look at it through completely the eyes of the flesh. The people that look at the evidence for, 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 for uh, the scientific evidence of, of, of the, the creation or the, the beginnings of this world, the flood, whatever it may be, well, they don't believe in the flood, but you, you take fossils and you take scientific evidence and the person who doesn't believe in God, the person who doesn't believe in his word is going to look at it and say, this proves out evolution, and the creation scientist who has faith and eyes to see is going to look at it and say, this is clearly, look at this, clearly points to a worldwide flood. You understand? So this is the Bible version, okay? This is more of the cross-referencing version, you know, taken from 1 Kings when it talks about um, uh, Solomon building ships there on the Red Sea because the Red Sea is on that left side. The Red Sea is all on this, also on this right side. But the question is, was it known as the Red Sea then? Now, when we went to uh, Israel and we went down into Elot, it was down on this body of water here, which is today known as the Red Sea, okay? But was it known as the Red Sea then? It's a whole bunch of stuff. Let's go with this one, shall we? So now here is the green line, if you guys can see it. If only I had a staff or a pointing staff. I'm just teasing you, Pop. Uh, Where's where's, there's what? Oh, Where? A little, a little black thing, a little black laser. All right, I'm not going to find it. That's okay. The green line is the root. There's Goshen up on the top left. 
And now here comes the children of Israel down into the wilderness of Egypt. And you can see where God's bringing them. If this is in fact... Now, a lot of the the, the more secular and uh, archaeological you know, type maps will show them crossing all the way up there by where it says Exodus route. They have them crossing there and then never coming down towards the water again. And it's a very narrow gap. And and that area also does have very deep parts, so it's not denying the work of of God or anything like that. This is just the other other kind. I don't want to make too much out of this because to me it really doesn't matter. I got a different point to make. So you see where God is bringing them down to the wilderness of Egypt down to where uh, Etham, next to Migdal, where we just read, where God was bringing them. And there they are. And you see that there's water here, and there's water here, and there's water there. You see what God's doing, right? He's hemming them in. He's putting them into a spot where there's no escape. If that, in fact, is exactly where the children of Israel went, he's bringing them to a spot where there's no escape. There's water on three sides, and the Egyptians on the third side. Okay? Now, let's continue. He says uh, to camp there, and then he says, verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. So you see how that makes sense. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's hearts that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. In other words, that's the way they went. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now remember, Pharaoh is looking out from his palace at this point in time, and Egypt is in ruins. Egypt is in ruins. Everywhere he looks is devastation and destruction because of the plagues that God brought on the nation of Egypt. And on top of that, the dead bodies that are being buried. Of all the firstborn from every house that didn't have blood on the lentils and the doorposts. It's just death and destruction. And maybe part of it too, just from a a managerial standpoint, is who's going to clean up this mess? Who's going to clean up? I'll tell you what we ought to do. I'll I'll tell you what we ought to do. We get them back here to clean up what they did. You could just see the thought coming into his heart. Of course, God's using it. Um, so verse 6 says, He made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. You see, he said all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Interesting, isn't it? The children of Israel went out with boldness. In other words, there was no doubt in their minds. When that last plague came, after that night, that first Passover night, and they woke up in the morning and every house that didn't have blood on the doorpost, someone was dead. Every house, someone was dead. And Pharaoh says, just go away. Take all of your people, take your children, take your livestock, take your possessions, take everything, and just go. Just leave. He just had nothing left. Nothing left. And God had instructed the people to each of the children of Israel to ask their neighbor for articles of gold and silver, you remember. 
And God gave them a favorable heart towards the children of Israel, which is interesting in spite of everything that had happened that God had done on their behalf. They still looked at them, at them favorably, which that's another lesson for you and I. That's another lesson for you and I. Because so much of what we do, even in our Christian walk and in our testimony, we are held back by other people's opinions. Gosh, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't want to offend everybody. Because what if they ask me, am I going to hell? What are you saying? I'm going to hell? I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to answer that question. Man, that's hard. That's hard. Well, imagine being a child of Israel, and God has just absolutely devastated Egypt. And God says, now I want you to go to your Egyptian neighbor, and I want you to ask them, give me your gold and your silver, articles of clothing for my journey as I leave your plundered, your plundered country that's been destroyed and devastated. Give me your gold and your silver, God tells the children of Israel to ask. Can you imagine? You want to talk about an awkward conversation. Hey, it's me, Jacob. Sorry about all this. Can I have your gold? And your silver? And the Bible says that they plundered the Egyptians because God gave the Egyptians such a favorable heart towards Israel. What does that mean? They knew this was the hand of God. They probably were mad at Pharaoh. They probably were angry and bitter towards Pharaoh and his hard heart. And when it came to the children of Israel, there was no doubt. For so, so many of the Egyptians actually became Hebrews and joined them. Let me go with you. But the other ones didn't have a heart of hatred towards them, but in fact were like, these people are chosen of God. These people have God on their side. And as awkward and terrible as that must have been to go to their neighbor and ask that question, God gave them favor in their eyes, and they left that place with abundance that they were going to need for their journey, for their trip. You never, ever, ever know the heart of the people that God is preparing you to minister to. Don't ever be afraid. And when someone asks you the question, you know, there's a very prominent preacher um, who was on a very prominent talk show late at night, and I was watching it on prime time. I was working out of town in Ogdensburg, and I'll never forget. I turn it on, and I'm watching this interview, and the interviewer asked this prominent preacher point blank, if I don't believe in Jesus, does that mean I'm going to hell? And the preacher wouldn't answer him. He wouldn't answer him. He just explained it away. And I remember thinking two things. First of all, how I wanted to jump through the screen and beat the man, right? That's, well, I don't want to do that. All right, bro, I, I get it. I don't want to do that because, because here's the thing. And well, now that we're there, <laughs> thanks a lot, Andy. We're there. Let me tell you about... No. <laughs> Here's the deal. Okay? <laughs> when I was a kid... I'm just going to tell you a story instead. <laughs> All right? When I was a kid, uh, we went to a church camp. That's actually where I first uh, knew my wife and, and her family. Um, and there was a, a preacher that used to come to that camp, and he was dynamic. I mean, he was dynamic. 
you want to, you want to have a, a, ba- a camp where everybody shows up, you know, and then the denominations like the, at the end of the day, let me tell you what church camp's about. We got to raise some money. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got the thermometer up at the front of the stage and we need to raise this much money. Well, you want to raise the money. You want to get people stoked to come to camp and you want people pumped up. You bring in this guy and this guy, this is a, this is a denomination where you had to sign something to become a, ma- a, a member where you wouldn't smoke any tobacco, you wouldn't drink any alcohol, you wouldn't go to any rated R movie. I mean, half of you got to leave now from this, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and you couldn't dance, and you couldn't dance, okay? Um, and this guy came in, and he had us at this campgrounds, he had us doing the wave. Now, for you, that's like, oh, okay, no, 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 you don't understand. We might as well have been like dressing up like Philistines, you know what I'm saying? Like doing the wave, and it was to the old hymn, There's Power in the Blood. And he goes, don't just say power, say power, 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 power. And when you, the first power, you guys do the wave. And the second power, you, so it's like this whole tent with, I don't know how many people would be at camp. It was 1,000 or 800 or 600 or whatever it was. It was a big group of people. And he'd have us doing the wave. I mean, everyone loved this guy. This guy was a blessing. And I don't mean that figuratively. And I don't mean that tongue in cheek. This guy was a blessing. This guy was a blessing to people. He blessed people. People rededicated their lives to Jesus Christ because of this guy's ministry. Now, this guy was a wolf. And this guy was carrying on affairs with with young, vulnerable women at the camp. He was a scumbag of the first order. Okay? That's not a very nice word to say. But I don't know any other way to say it. I'd have punched him in his throat. Okay? If I'd have been grown and known better. That's why I can't go be in places... A lot of places that keep me away from people, you know. I can, listen, I don't care if someone comes up to me and says, oh man, I was, you know, shooting heroin last night while doing some other god awful things and, and, and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, let's, hey, you know what? Let's seek Jesus because there's forgiveness for all that. Somebody comes to me or I find out somebody who claims to be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ or claims to be an ambassador and in that name, using that cloak, is taking advantage of people, I want to choke them. I want to choke him. I want to choke him. And I would like to make my own movie about the life of Jesus Christ. And I'll show you a temple scene like you've never seen. Because I think Jesus put the boots to him. That's what I think. I don't think it was just, ah, oh, push their table over. Take that, Pharisee. It says he made a whip out of cords. I mean, he was picked. He was jacking dudes up. Why? It is written that my house will be called a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. What do you do when you find a thief in your house? Oh, hey, sorry to bother you. (laughs) Are you done eating those crackers? Okay, I'll give you a minute. Hey, when you're wrapped up here, you mind leaving? (laughs) My family wants to come in now. Okay, you'd see me come through the back wall with that dude. And it'd be go time, right? Because you've come into my home and you've put, there's a threat level against my family now and I have a divine responsibility to protect my people. Anybody that God has put under my protection, I have a divine responsibility to protect them with my life. With my life. And that includes you folks on Sunday mornings. Now, where were we (laughs) This guy was a wolf. This guy was a charlatan. Eventually he lost his ministry. He lost everything because everything got found out. 
but it doesn't diminish what God did through him. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't diminish that God still used him. So I could sit up here and I could dissect for you all the things I don't like about Joel Osteen and a million other people. But if there's an unbeliever out there and there's a whole bunch of them that are listening to his messages and from one of his messages can say, I think maybe I should start reading the Bible or I should look into this, this Jesus. There's something to what this guy's saying. Praise God. Now remember, remember that Jesus specifically told his disciples. He gave them this parable of the wheat and the tares. You remember? And the, 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 the landowner went out and he planted this bountiful harvest of wheat. And as the wheat began to come up, all of these tares, these weeds, started coming up with them. And no doubt were choking some of them. And so the servants came to the landowner and said, Do you want us to go out and uproot these tares? You want me to take care of them, God? You know, I have the ministry of shooting false prophets. You know what I mean? That's the ministry I want. And remember what the landowner said? He goes, no, no. Because in uprooting those tares, you may inadvertently uproot some of the wheat as well. What if, what if that guy's blessing somebody? Who are you? Leave it be. And leave it to God. Now, we are going to teach the truth of God's word. Solo scriptura. Right? That's the Latin term. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Only the scriptures. I will stand up here, and if something isn't in the scripture, I ain't going to say it. Neither is Dad. And if there's something or some doctrine or some wind of thing that comes into this church that goes against scripture, we're going to say, well, no, because here's what the Bible says. What we're not going to do is go out and start choking people, right? And start hammering people because I'll tell you what, you're going to rip up some, some good roots. You're going to rip up some wheat. It's not my job. Now, some people, remember Dave Hunt? God gave that man a ministry of going around and exposing false doctrine, exposing lies, and of telling people about the true doctrine of God through the word. Now, he didn't do it in the, in the, in the, on the street corners, okay? He didn't walk into churches on Sunday mornings, overturn their communion table. Let me tell you, sinners, you know. No, 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 no. Dave Hunt went where he was invited to go, okay? Very important. You didn't have to buy his books, and you didn't have to go to the special events at your church where they were having Dave Hunt speak, because if you went, you knew what you were going to get. You're going to leave there going, like, I've got like three or four things I've got to really change. You know what I mean? I didn't even think about that. And then That's what he did. But the ministry that God has given us is the ministry of what? Anybody know? Reconciliation. I want you to be reconciled with God. I want myself to be reconciled with God. Now, I have the ministry of reconciliation. So there's this, 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 this prodigal son or prodigal daughter that's ran off. He's gone off into the world. She's gone off into the world doing all this other stuff. I want to reconcile him or her back to her father. Frank, I've chosen you to go bring that prodigal back to the Lord, back to, back to my house. Please, Frank, would you go get my son? Frank, would you go get my daughter? You got it. You got it, sir. Leave it to me. I got it. Hey, dirtbag! you got two choices, you know. You can come quietly or I'm going to beat it out of you. Reconciliation? What does it look like? Oh, son, daughter, don't you know how much your father loves you? 
and that he would gladly and willingly give everything for you. He just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. Not come home as a slave. Not come home as a servant. He wants you to come home so he can bless you. So he can say, take my finest robe and put it on. Take my ring, put it on her finger. Kill the fatted calf. For my son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he's found. That's the ministry of reconciliation, right? So, that being said, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. You want to be able to identify counterfeit? Study the real thing. Study the real thing. That's why the scripture says study to show yourself approved, a workman, rightly dividing the word of God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, show yourself approved. But when you go out to your friends that go to this church or that church or belong to this denomination or that denomination, we tried this. We tried this for years. Holy shnikes. I remember being in ninth grade. I know I'm keeping you long. I remember being in ninth grade and bringing a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, no, it wasn't me. It was actually... <laughs> I was a freshman in Henniger. I was not popular at all. And a real popular girl who went to our church at the time brought a whole bunch of friends to church. A whole, like a whole bunch of friends to church. And our youth pastor at the time, God bless him, his, his, heart, he, his heart was, it was, he was walking in the light that he had, okay? He had a good heart, he did. But he got up there and he hammered these kids. He hammered them. He hammered them. And we never saw one of them again. And it wasn't because anything that he said wasn't true. But because it wasn't said with love. And you may have heard this before. That people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And man, oh man, never were truer words spoken. Christian, here's our life. The Bible says it. Jesus Christ, he, he pointed it out so perfectly for us. And in, in questioning this, this, uh, this, this young teacher, uh, this, this, young, this young attorney, and, and in teaching his disciples, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hinge all of the law and the prophets. Let's show me how good you are and how much you know and how much you can do this and do that and, how, and this and that. Show me that you love God, that God comes first in your life. And the evidence of that will be in you serving the people around you. Not being served, but serving the people around you. Me second, you first. That's, I mean, that's, that's it, Christian. You first, me second. That's what it looks like. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and, and just thank you and praise you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy and, and your love towards us, Father. We're so grateful. Um, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with love and, and also with faith, Lord, that we would believe in you, uh, Lord, and we would trust in you, uh, Lord, that uh, no matter where you lead us, even if we're being hemmed in like you were, you're hemming the children of Israel in, Lord, in this portion, uh, Lord, we're surrounded and there's no earthly way we can escape, Father. Uh, you could, you're setting us up for your, your name to be glorified. 
Father, help us to believe in you. Lord, have your way in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, Lord, and most certainly in our church. Lord, season all of our words with grace and mercy, Lord. Help us to be ambassadors of truth and love and grace, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would equip us more and more day by day, Lord. We confess to you we don't know all that we should, Lord, but we want to. And we pray, Lord, that you yourself would teach us. As we study your word, Lord, we pray that you would open up the scriptures to us, Lord, that you would open it up so our hearts can understand, Lord, and we can look at it with your eyes, Father, and have your wisdom, not any wisdom that comes from men. And so we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for all you've done, for all you're doing, and for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.